Welcome back to That Rugby Podcast. You're joined by myself, Luke Bowden, and my co-host, Husey, 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 g'day, superstar g'day. in the making, uh, try assist match winner on the weekend. We mentioned it in the last oh. podcast, but uh, you kicked us off or kicked us off on the weekend and, and in this podcast, run us through that moment. I, I was going to bring this up later. I didn't realise we are talking about this up front. Uh, but I've got to go straight no, it was, into it. It was, it was like I said, last week you asked me what position do I play? And I said, and I quote, and I'm sure there's a recording of this, this is definitely what I said at the time, is that I don't play a position. I put myself in a position to make plays. Um, I, that's word for word what I said. If you go back and listen to the other podcast, it's exactly what I said. Uh, no, it was just it was just a case of right place, right time. Uh, well, yeah, I, I essentially... It was towards the end of the game. I knew something needed to happen. And so they were getting ready to get the ball out of the rock. So I thought, well, I'm just going to rush this dickhead in front of me and try and lay him out. Uh, instead, I completely whiffed him as he took one step to the side <laughs> and uh, stepped around me. But luckily, it was tactical, you see, because I knew I had a teammate backing me up who then clobbered him. And as he was getting ready to offload, I was then in position to intercept that offload. So I, as I said, I put myself in a position to make plays. So I grabbed the ball about 50 meters out from the trial line. This is the last minute of the game. We're down by four points. Um, and so I just looked at all the open turf ahead of me and I did what any good front rower does. And I kicked the ball. There's no way I'm running 50 meters. I'm not making that. Uh, their props could have caught me. You know, uh, I, I was not making that. And our coach's philosophy is don't play the ball on your own half. So I thought, look, I'm not going to play the ball in my own half here. Uh, something took hold of me. I think, as you said, the spirit of Luke Bowden took hold of me. <laughs> he th I thought, what would Luke do? Uh, and I just, I just kicked the ball. And luckily we had a very fast winger, Dan Mooney, shout out to the Moon Man, who chased the ball down, got there ahead of everyone else on the side of the Barker Old Boys, towed it ahead for his own nice little uh, kick, and then regathered and scored a try that won the game on the buzzer. And uh, look, I think calling it a miracle is probably not too far because it's just about <laughs> the best thing I've ever done on a rugby field. You know, I've been a career, uh, career front rower, uh, a career bent front rower. You could even say, you know, I am of a particular size and build and I have a particular set of skills and those skills do not involve scoring points or kicking balls. And I just I, I was just in the right place at the right time, uh, and as I, after I kicked the ball and as I'm running it down the field, I, before, for the first like two seconds, I was just like, Jesus, I hope this doesn't go badly. And then I saw Mooney coming through, and I saw that he was going to get the ball. And I'm like, holy shit, something might have happened here. And then for the last like three seconds, as he's like running through and goes and scores the try, I'm like, holy shit, we talked about this on the podcast. This is exactly what we said would happen on the podcast. Uh, and yeah, it was it was great. Uh, it helped uh, accomplish what is known as a knob wash because it's the Knox Old Boys to so the knobs. And it was a whitewash because we won all the games against the rival team, Barker Old Boys, on their ladies' day, mind you. The Colts had won. Uh, and if the seconds had lost, it would have been, it would have really demoralized the first. So winning that really won the whole day for the Knox Old Boys, <laughs> I'd like to say. Um, but that's me done now for the year. I might lace the boots back up again next year for a game again. You know, uh, if the club calls me uh, and they need me, uh, they know where to find me. 
Well, they'll be calling more often after your heroics uh, at the end of the game, mate, surely. Uh, no, I mean, there's a, there's going to be a nice wee edit come out uh, mm. later this week. But, yeah, congratulations, Husey. We, we talked about it, you... WWL, what mm. would Luke do? And you yep. did it, and and look, now you, you're pretty much a superstar. It, it is, yeah. Uh, uh, Darren Coleman has been on the recruitment drive, I'll say that much. <laughs> just, they're lower front rowers at the moment, you know. They are, they are, and there's some whispers, and oh, I like that, I like that. Uh, DC, you know, couldn't find a better player. Could not find no, a better he's, player. He's a great recruiter, uh, Darren Coleman. And you know, you dye my hair red, I could be a body double for Harry Johnson. Harry Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Yeah, I mean, he he looks far and wide for the talent, doesn't he? DC all the yeah, way to very. In Subby's, my case, very far and very wide. <laughs> Subby's third grade. Yeah. <laughs> Division two of Subby's third grade. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Love that. Well. Shall we move on to the real rugby? Not saying that it wasn't real rugby, but yeah. the uh, professional, the professional rugby, professional rugby. You know, you know what I mean? where 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 they're supposed to get where they're supposed to get paid, they just they don't get the cash under the table like like we do. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the Chiefs kicked us off, uh, beating mm. the Highlanders. Still undefeated, still looking on fire. Amoni Nawai yeah. is now looking like a bolter um, between him and. Sean Stevenson of who's going to make the Rugby World Cup squads because both of them have been in fine form for the Chiefs. Yeah, Sean Stevenson is just, he was everywhere in that game. But one thing I want to point out is that even though the Chiefs put 52 points on them, the Highlanders still scored 28 of their own. They're still plenty dangerous uh, on their day as well. There's still, and we saw that last week against the Waratahs as well. There's, there's, there's enough there that is going to make for, it's not going to be, uh, a cakewalk if they make it into the finals and they're in 10th position right now, but they could very easily sneak uh, into that eighth position. Um, I, I've said the reds aren't making the finals. I think the reds are going to miss out. So I think it's going to come down to the rebels and the Highlanders who take that eighth spot, because I think we've said that the Waratahs and the Dura are going to make it uh, into the finals. And so I think the Highlanders, you know, and we might see a rematch against the chiefs uh, first week of the finals. Um, and that would be, I, you know, the chiefs, they they won that one, but there's probably some uncomfortable moments with the tries that the Highlanders scored in that one that probably made them uh, a little bit wary uh, and a little bit uh, a little bit uncomfortable, I'll say. Yeah, I, I tend to agree, um, and I think after this week we'll definitely do a guide to the to make the finals next week um, mm. on the podcast where we look into who could actually make it between those uh, final yeah. teams because I think there will, uh, a couple of eyes will open up um, and with three weeks left to go after that, we'll see who's who's really got a good chance. But like I said, yeah. Reds don't beat New Zealand Super Rugby teams and I think three of their last four games are against yeah. Super uh, uh, Rugby they got Chiefs. They've got Chiefs and they've got the Blues and then they've got the Highlanders and they finish off against the Dura in Fiji. And if there's one thing we know, Luke, <laughs> it's that you don't beat Fiji in Fiji. I actually, I, I and we're gonna we'll jump onto this game now where the Dura beat the Hurricanes in Fiji. There must have been a full moon or something when the Blues beat Fiji in Fiji. Yeah. there must have been something. Mm. There was some god witch hoodoo going on. No, that, you know what? It, you know what? It, you know what it was is that the Blues have got blue jerseys like the Dura do. And so there was just a miscommunication. They were just not sure. They thought it was training. They didn't realize it was an actual game. 
Oh, so they just thought it was a training session and that. Yeah, thought it was a training session. Didn't realize it was an actual match. The Fijian spirits were not with the Dura on that day. I, I heard some some rumors as well that Joe Rokokoko uh, actually uh, sent some spirits across with the Blues. Uh, yeah, and that's how, that's how strong his power is for the Blues. Mm. Uh, that yeah, that that caused some issues as well. So yeah, there's yeah. some some hoodoo there, but again. Of, of Fiji looking very likely now to to sneak into the finals in their second mm. year in the comp, which is fantastic. Another fantastic which is which is what someone on this podcast, uh, maybe both of us, but what someone predicted at the start of the Super Rugby season. Well, you flip flop because then Harbosi was ruled out after. I said I was less confident in it. It didn't mean <laughs> I revoked the prediction. I actually think in your top eight, you didn't have them in your actual the our our tabled predictions. Ah, uh, look, that's. I, that, that doesn't count. So you, you may have done that as a prediction, but then not put it in your table prediction. No, did that purely as motivation for the Dura. Oh, right? That wasn't yeah. a real prediction. Oh. That was a uh, challenge. That was that me was putting it out well, there to them to... down the challenge like that. Throwing yeah. down the gauntlet, as it were. <laughs> I mean... Because you know, yeah, I, I needed would... my prediction at the start of the year to come true. I see. Right? It needed it to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. I needed to speed these things along, you know? I also, I, I don't think neither of us knew the power of Fiji. Knew the spiritual yeah. power of Fiji to the Dura. Neither of us knew it was, that. I, there, was a great, uh, <laughs> there was a great quote from Artie Savia about what it's like playing in Fiji. He just said, oofed. Yeah. <laughs> like, and he, he said some stuff after that, but just the start of it, just saying, Oofed is just like that's like that's you know usually the rugby players come out with some like you know generic stuff like oh it's a fantastic crowd it's a great atmosphere whatever but the fact you just let off with oofed is you know it it <laughs> has to be something special to play there yeah I feel like it's uh, it's gonna start you know bringing the same vibes of when you used to go and play the South African teams in South Africa um, yeah. where it was like you get the hit by a bit of altitude or you get hit by, by that Fijian stickiness then you get these you know. Crazy South African fans, crazy Fijian fans. It's going to take on a world of its own, and this is this mm. is my issue with the Moana Pacifica team. And, and what I said is, is that their identity should be the islands, and and they should be playing all of not most of their home games there. It's just a silly idea to have it as a New Zealand based team. In my opinion, I would I would be yeah. basing it out of Samoa and Tonga, but. We, uh, we digress on to the Crusaders bouncing back in a big way against yeah. the force with Will Jordan returning and playing 56 damn good minutes, um, making every New Zealander smile just that little bit more. Yeah, I, I, I watched the, the highlights of this game. Uh, you know, it was a good fight from the Western Force, but just clearly outclassed, clearly outclassed by the Crusaders. Um, and, you know, the, the Force, aren't, you know, you can't write them off either. They could still stick at the finals. They had a good win over the Highlanders um, a few weeks back as well. So they're capable of beating the New Zealand teams, uh, or at least the the Highlanders. At least they're capable of sneaking into that top eight. So I would not write them off just yet. And they've got uh, they've got a home game against Fiji, which would be tough for Fiji uh, to overcome. Home game against the Brumbies. So you got to travel to the west coast there for the Brumbies, and then they have got they're away at the Rebels and finish off. With the Chiefs, right? So the Chiefs game, you know, probably we don't know yet because lost. they may be resting players, though. This yeah, exactly. Is... That's the one where we've we've highlighted they could be resting players. Yeah. But the games against the Dura um, and the Rebels are definitely winnable for them. And on their day, they could they could take it to the Brumbies. So I wouldn't write out the Western Force just yet. Totally, totally, I agree with that. The Blues then just about gave us 
Uh, the shock of the round losing to Moana Pacifica. They were down, what was it? Oh, 30, my goodness. 30-24 uh, mm. as time was up on the clock. But penalty after penalty after penalty. Well, for finally try. the referee had to give a penalty try. Which, again, it was the right decision. I don't want, it definitely wasn't, it sucks that the game ended like that. But mm. when he awarded the penalty, I was like, well, yeah, they have given up five penalties, like, on their line and the scrum was going backwards and you're like, I, I'm 90% sure a try would have been scored if they hadn't collapsed it. And it was just, everything was adding up and it was like, he had to, like he had to as, as terrible yeah. as it was to finish like that. There's for two yellow cards also at that point as well. For Moana it was, Pacifica. It was, yeah, it was going to happen. So again, unfortunate, but it is what it is. Moana Pacifica at least showed some defense. Again, another one yeah. of those games though, if you think about it, Moana Pacifica should realistically be one of the biggest, if not the biggest rival of the Blues. Uh, mm. You know, both playing the same city. A massive 8,100 people turned up to the game or something like that. So a fucking miserable crowd for at Eden Park, which holds about 50, 55. So you had not even a fifth of the venue. It's a great game as well. Again, an really exciting great. game. So it's just not happening for Wine Pacifica at the moment and New Zealand rugby. Um, but yeah, disappointing to say. Yeah, I just want to... Uh, I want to highlight this um, once again. Uh, Moana Pacifica Era Inare, the halfback, once again, stood really standing out to me as yeah. uh, as a really good halfback. Like I, I, you know, he, he, I reckon he's just about as good, maybe better than most Australian halfbacks at the moment. Like he was directing traffic everywhere in that game. He was making plays with his feet as well. Uh, he he should be a highlight player for Moana Pacifica, and yeah, he's uh, he's Caleb Clark's cousin as well. So it was a bit of cousin rivalry going on in that game. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, and then your Tars go up to Queensland, beat the Reds, uh, did a fantastic job of doing it. Uh, looked comfortable enough, we'll say. Yeah, the, the final scoreline is probably a little bit closer than what than what it was. Like, ha- it, the, the phase of the game sort of, play it out true like 17 all halftime was relatively close to that point and then if you go up to everything bar the final buzzer the scoreline is pretty reflective of how the game went from there the Waratahs had control of it I think they just gave up the try at the end because it really had no implications only had a point differential implication no bonus points so no ladder points and you want to escape there without any injury um, but one thing I want to point out is Stan Sport put out their uh, predictor of the game and I'm not sure if this was based on Voting, I'm not sure this is based on Stan's own statistic. It was voting. 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 76% predicted the Reds to win, right? So I just want to say to all 76% of you, you know, like, get around. You obviously have not been watching the Waratahs this season. If you think there's a 76% chance they're going to lose. I'll double down on that. Uh, The Hurricanes had a 95% voting chance to win. Now, obviously, it's a bit different, but... yeah. 95%, 95%, again, 76% of people don't know that the Reds are very good this year. Um, yeah. but people seem to... 95% moving. of people don't know that you can't beat Fiji and Fiji, Fiji. unless you've got a blue jersey. Unless you've there got you a go. blue jersey. So that yeah. knocks out a whole lot of teams. Like... <laughs> it does. Crusaders, go on. Lost. Yeah. That's why they lost. We, we saw it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and the final it's game just... of the round was the Brumbies that held off the Melbourne Rebels late charge in the middle yeah. of the number 10s, Lower Seal versus Carter Gordon. Well, Sir gets the upper hand, but has the better team in front of him. So I really don't fucking. I think, think, I think Carter Gordon arguably played better from what I could. From what I saw, Lola Sia got got some points, but that was really 
off support play, which is which is nice, and you should be doing that. But uh, as a ten, I feel like you should be creating the plays for someone else to be the support player. Like it's not your primary role. Like yeah. uh, I would have loved to see more highlights of him creating plays. I think I saw Carter Gordon do that a little bit more. One 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 kick set up for a try, and you think you can tell number tens in Australia what they can do, bud. Look at you, just look yeah. at you. <laughs> look, Eddie's been on the horn. He just needs someone to come into training camp and just sort of give a bit of a tutorial, you know, uh, coaching coaching role. But I told him I'm not retired fully from my playing days yet. I'm not ready to step into the coaching sphere. But you know, come the uh, 2027 World Cup. Hit me up there. Hit me on there. Yeah. Nice. All right. Yeah. Good to hear. Good to hear. Uh, talking about a couple of key wallabies. Oh, uh, oh. oh yeah. Well, that's great. I was going to uh, just actually say from this game, for the from the Brumbies uh, game and from the Waratahs game, speaking of wallabies players, I'm glad you sort of uh, brought this up because I wanted to talk about one of the positions that has really been a uh, sore point for wallabies in past years which is the second row position and i think jed holloway is really standing up this year as uh, an amazing lock i think nick frost is uh, doing a great job as well yeah i i rate both of those players um i think the only issue with jed holloway is his height he's only six one i believe mm. which isn't like again his position this is why i think uh dave rennie was favoring him at six because he's a tall six um and he's got the skills of a six but he's not a giraffe like we saw with nick frost who uh yeah. needs to gallop as he runs because he can't actually run properly um so yeah i don't know again all the skill in the world jet holloway showed it and he's shown it again mm. this season um but it'll be interesting what eddie jones makes of that um positional decision when you're facing some of those bigger teams the south africas and yeah. stuff where they play him. It's the same with the All Blacks with Scott Barrett. Scott Barrett's not the tallest bloke in the world, so they love to put Sam Whitelock and Brady Retallick together and then put Barrett at six. So it'll be interesting um, how Eddie Jones is thinking about it all. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But Nick White and James O'Connor could be heading to the force in um, what has been yes. a massive coup for them, which would be a massive coup, I think. Nick White, more importantly. And then they've obviously been uh, missing a... a uh, I guess a number ten throughout the season. They haven't. Had, they've tried many. I don't know what's happened to the young buck, Reese Jan Pasiatoa. Uh, I assume He's got, an injury. Uh, yeah, it's got a knee, knee injury that's injury. like pretty keeping him out quite a while. Yeah, that all I can assume because I haven't seen him on the field. But I know Bryce Higgins started a couple of games. Mm. Hamish Stewart started off there, um, so they could get you know at least a two for a year deal with O'Connor and White to run your nine and ten. Isn't mm. a bad shout at all because if that team can get some direction, they can be very dangerous. Yes, absolutely. I think there's two really experienced players. And if you sort of do a rotational thing like what the Brumbies have been doing very methodically this year with their 9 and 10, it could be very dangerous for uh, the Western Force if uh, Reese Jan Pasitoa does come back healthy. Totally. Cooper's back. Quade Cooper actually fully made his rugby return yes. in Japan, um, which is... I. I has to be good news for every Australian watching, even if not that he's not playing an Aussie, um, but just playing footy in general is big mm. for the Wallabies to be able to see where how quickly he can get up to game speed, how quickly he can get involved and up to the level, if he comes back at the level as he mm. was. I don't have any doubts about his fitness levels, um, 
because he's kept himself in fantastic shape the past few years. I think the mm-hmm. biggest one will be how his game IQ and his feeling for the game comes back. And Quaid's always been yeah. a natural feeler of the game, if you know what I mean. So it'll be interesting to see, hopefully, a good, good quick return for him. Yes. Now, taking us over to the other side of the world where Chris mm. Ashton um, made his potential final appearance in the Premiership for the Leicester Tigers uh, and got recarded. And could be potentially his last ever game. I think 101 total yeah. tries in the Premiership. Most tries. Greatest ever try scorer, they're calling him, in the Premiership. Uh, mm-hmm. So it had me thinking, what are some of the worst ways to finish a career? If you were to go out, you know, your last game of your career, and, you know, what would, obviously you, say you retired after your game, that would have been one of the better ways to go out. Yeah, of, uh, yeah. Uh, a setup of a try, but what's some of the worst ways? And I was thinking about it, and I'd go, yeah. surely being part of that, A, that 2015 English World Cup team where they got knocked out at home and the pools didn't even make it out of the pools. Because I was thinking, you know, making it mm. to a Rugby World Cup final and losing would suck, but you've actually made it to the pinnacle of your sport and your last game ever. You know, you've probably done quite a lot in sport before that. Obviously not winning would be, but I think actually what would be worse is to, like, lose in a in a final pool game in a home world cup to be knocked out when you're expected to go further. Yeah. I think something like that would be bad, but even I think like you can add onto the, the misery a little bit there. I think if you're on, if you're playing a game that makes history, but in a bad way for your team. So I'm talking about like the South African loss to Japan or the Irish oh, loss yes. to Japan. Right. But, uh, make it even worse. Right. Say you're injured and pretty severe injury in like the first five minutes, like you tear your ACL the first five minutes, right? And then you'll be forever torturing yourself in your mind of maybe if I hadn't done my ACL, we wouldn't have lost that game. Maybe yeah. I let everyone down by getting injured. I actually think I think what would be worse and is two yellow cards for like very minimal things. So like say a, like and it happened not so long ago with Drew Mitchell. Like, say you get a yellow card for a deliberate knockdown when you're just reaching for an intercept yeah. early in the first half, ref gives you a yellow card. Then towards the end of the game, you get yellow carded for repeated infringements from the whole team who got a warning, but you're the one who get yellow carded. So you get a red card, and it, like, costs your team the game, and then you get knocked yeah. out in that World That'd Cup That would be pretty stage. bad. That would be... Or even, like, a chance to win the Bledisloe. Say, Wallabies have won. Thinking. The Wallabies have won one game. You know, if that, if that Bernard Foley game was his last game, that would be a pretty bad way to exactly. go. Exactly. Like, to go out like that, to say, <sighs> say say it was, say Bernard Foley had 35, it was his, you know, ending game. They were, mm. and say that was the second game and you'd won in New Zealand or whatever. So all you had to do was kick the ball out and that mm. happened. You would favor, rather than an injury, you'd just be sitting there thinking, like, I cost us the Bledisloe Cup. Like, yeah. how, how, it'd be tough. I'm just thinking that has to be obviously Chris Ashton had a great career, but I was just mm. thinking the worst ways to go out would just be yes, something like yeah. that. Just something. Be terrible. Niggly like that. Yeah. That was mm. a good pick up the Foley one. I like that. Um getting on to women's rugby, uh, and starting with the super W back to back champs for Fiji Anaduda. Uh nice. took out the Reds. I believe they're up pretty heavily at one stage in the first half. And the Reds slowly brought them back in. Um, but, yeah, congratulations again to the Fiji Anadura taking it out back-to-back. Yeah, incredible. And they, they didn't look so 
great during the season, but uh, they t- turned into a different team final, finals time. The same with the comeback against the Waratahs last week. Just uh, incredible stuff from Fiji and Ladura. It shows that, that Fiji is cooking up something special with their Super Rugby team, both men's and women's teams. Yes, totally. They, they, they've got a great structure there, like, and again, and it shows, like, again, this shows that this is the identity I talked about. No Moana Pacifica women's team. There's nothing there to grab hold of and go, yes, that's mm. that's the culture, that's the team, that's what they're playing for, whereas it's a, it's a bit different with uh, the Dura. Now, I want to touch space quickly on the new competition that's been named WXV, the women's XV. Um, it's going to be a cross-pool top competition consisting of the top three teams from both the Six Nations and Pacific Four Series. They will mm. be divided into two pools consisting of teams from the same competition, but will only play opposition in the other pool. So, um, and then it says, from 2026, the bottom ranked side will be relegated to WXV2. England, France and Wales qualify for the inaugural WXV Season 1 by finishing the top three in the Six Nations. So there's going to be like three divisions to this. I believe it's been played out of New Zealand, the first one. Um, And it's basically just another competition uh, for women's rugby, and I think it's a great idea, yeah. especially international rugby, to get the game going. A lot of talk around does it diminish, you know, the R- women's rugby world cup, which I don't. I think this is going to be a great, a very interesting sticking point for how could the men's do another competition between yeah. every two years, something similar mm. to this, um, because yeah, if it goes really well, which I think it will, the way women's rugby is growing at the moment and still. You know, going in then that linear growth, uh, this is, I think, a, a huge take and a great advantage for uh, world rugby to be yeah. doing. Absolutely. Like, anything that gets... Uh, look, women's rugby is the growth area right now. I say all of women's sport is a huge growth market for everyone right now. Anyone that doesn't recognize that is, frankly, you got your head in the sand, right? To just look at the numbers of how women's sport can do. Even if they never match the same tier, uh, same level of attendances or same level of support as men's tier one competitions, even if they're only something like a tier two competition, like that is still great revenue to be brought in. Um, and, you know, that's a, that's even a pessimistic look on it. The optimum look is that they can match the men's sport for, for fans because, you know, they, it, more and more women are becoming interested in sport, more and more women becoming interested in playing sport and supporting and watching sport. And, you know, there's a lot of sports fans out there, myself and my co-host included, who just like watching sports and will watch anything. So, you know, there's a market there for it. And, yeah, to see more efforts being made is always a good thing. Totally, totally. And I think, yeah, with the right marketing, the right um, vision around this competition, I think it be could be an awesome, awesome um, setup. A uh, couple final points. The World XV versus the Barbarians uh, is coming up. I mm. believe it's not too far away, actually. Let me bring that up. It is 20 days away, so three weeks away now. Um, the the big news is Izzy Falau playing for yeah. the World XV. Uh, so I believe it's Steve Hansen against Eddie Jones. Eddie Jones coaching the Barbarians. Steve Hansen coaching the World XV. Yes. Uh, World XV already includes Charles Piatel, Nami Luape, Nick Phipps, Marika Korobeti, Semir Arada, uh, Lorenzo Canone, Reese Patchell, Adam Hastings, uh, and a couple others, and then obviously Israel Falau 
um, named as well, which will be, it'll be a very interesting game of two all-star teams mm. going at it. Um, fascinating watch. Uh, the big one that everyone's highlighting, though, is uh, Joe Marler, obviously England yeah. rugby, very well outspoken. Um, again, especially with Izzy Falau, has, has rubbed the knife in uh, to Izzy's yeah. views a couple of times. Is playing for the Barbarians, whereas Izzy playing or the World XV, will be an interesting time that those two clash um, what goes down. Uh, but yeah, yeah I'm, I'm excited for international rugby again. Absolutely, in a game like this will be very entertaining. Some other players of the Barbarians, uh, Danny Kerr, Dan Cole, Johnny May, Jack Noel, and Sam Simmons are confirmed. Alan Wynne-Jones is expected to join the side as well. Oh, excellent! Yeah, yeah. It was a bit, could be a bit of an all-star cast going on here, and um, with mm. two great coaches, I imagine we'll see some really enterprising rugby. So, will be a very cool watch to kick us off into, I guess, the international window, and then the Rugby World Cup eventually. Yes, it'll all go around pretty quickly. Now, last point today, I'm going to discuss with you uh, because I read an article on Wayne Smith, the great Wayne Smith. New Zealand rugby coach, coached the Black Ferns to a mm. victory uh, at the Home Rugby World Cup. Uh, said when he was watching the Force versus the Highlanders, it must have been a few weeks ago now, he actually turned it off at half-time because of how many... There was already been two cards. He said there's, that half the time the referee stuck his arm out in advantage. It was Nick Berry, the referee. And it's not a, it wasn't a blight at Nick Berry. It was just the way the game was going. And he actually watched the animal documentary, which he said he's never done in his life before. Um, and then I said, well, I challenge you to try and stick through the Hurricanes games every season, and then you'll be definitely switching some games off to animal documentaries at halftime because of how they yeah. play. Uh, I'm sure you're the same as a Tars fan, my friend. Um, yeah. So he said that he's, he's worried at the state of the game, and then a couple of Jeff Wilson, I know, is back to Malcolm John Kerwin, just the state of the game and how... There's so many advantages. The ref has to give away a penalty. And we watched probably actually my favourite game I've watched in so mm. long, the Brumbies versus the Hurricanes, where, like we kept saying, I think there was about 10 penalties maybe all game, eight penalties all game, about five scrums all game. It was a fantastic game. Only about mm. three, two of those in the first half as well. Um, so it was a really good watch. Now, one interesting take was no hands in the ruck and we killed the pilfer. Now, and like so you can still turn over the ball in the ruck, it just means the only person who can handle the ball in the ruck is a halfback going in to get it out. Everyone else just cleans over and cleans out. And I, when I first read this, I was like, that's disgusting. How dare you take away from Richie McCaw? How dare you take away from Pocock? You know, the hoopers of this world. Ari yeah. Savia, who make their living poaching ball. The Connor Hughes's. Your yeah, brother who, for that one. <laughs> who who sits there and counts throughout a game. Throughout a game, we're talking about a game in the middle of a game, will count how many pilfers he has. How can you take that away? But then I got to thinking about it and I said, it actually is actually quite smart because, all right, we now no longer get any holding on because a player, even if they, like, it's no real reason to hold on because mm. no one's going for the ball, like, you just place it. Your only penalties at a ruck are coming coming off your feet or coming from the side. A, 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 an actual counter ruck is a counter ruck. It's not just someone getting their hands on the ball first. It actually mm. makes a lot of sense. Like it, to me, I would love to see this trialed in a, in a in a decent tournament and see how it impacted the game. I imagine would get faster. I imagine when you're on defense, 
you'd have to defend. You couldn't just, you know, expect the greats of, you know, your Adi Savoyas, your Hoopers to steal the ball. I actually started to bring myself around to the idea that there would be less penalties and would get a better game. I just wanted to get your thoughts on it. I worry then that the game could become too predictable um, because there is a lot that still favours the attacking side at the moment, particularly when you're defending, you know, from your 22 to your try line, right? The uh, one of the one of the only ways to sort of kill an attacking drive there is for someone to get a steal, right, or for the other team to make a mistake, you know. But the uh, causing a, a penalty uh, by getting your hands on the ball and getting a pilfer there is can be such a game changing play and game saving play, in fact. And that's what I worry about. It's just that when teams get within the 22. Um, it, it becomes a lot easier for them to 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 get through the defense. That's that's some, that's my main concern. Is that it takes away another part of defending when we're already making the game more attack oriented. Now, that's not that's not me a hundred percent torpedoing the idea. I guess like that's not me being a hundred percent fully against it. I think there is some merits to it. I just think it needs to be very carefully weighed up. And yeah, like I'd like to see it trialed and see how that affects those kind of situations. Yeah, that's a good situation to put yourself in is, is that to the goal line. But I, what I would imagine is a coach would actually benefit from a bit of strategy around that about how do we actually stop them from the twenty-two now, like you know, yeah. we can't we can't bank on that. We've got to we've got to counteract a ball, or we've got to have our defense on point. Uh, I just yeah, I think. It was one of those ideas where someone said, you know, we've got too many rules, and we do. We just have too many rules, I think. And how can we strip away some of those rules that's mm. not going to hurt the integrity of our game but allow us to improve the game? And I just thought that one would be really interesting. And I'll, what I might start doing every podcast is bring a rule I think we could strip away and how it would work. And I just mm. think this was a really good one first up because it is such a talk like... Think about how many penalties given away. Other than offsides, I imagine it would be not releasing and hands in the ruck would be the two biggest yeah, penalties that you give away. Absolutely. So if you can kill those ones out, you you, you win the get like you know you're winning half the battles. So I, I do like I like the idea of it, but I like your counter out point. Like how do you? That is one of the yeah, yeah we we've mentioned the uh, Bernard Foley moment on this this podcast. You know that only came because of Fakiri getting a steal in the dying minutes over the ball uh, to win the penalty. So, you know, you take that moment away. Mm. Interesting, interesting ports. If you have any thoughts for our listeners out there, please let us know. You can message us on our Instagram and, and everything like that as well. Um, other than that, you know, we're down to four more weeks in Super Rugby. It's getting down to crunch time. Top mm. five still look like top five, but from everywhere else perspective, there's, there's definitely opportunities to make finals. Uh, but Chiefs obviously going in as big favourites to the finals here. Uh, the URC had their semi or quarterfinals and now going to semifinals. Uh, I believe it is Lent versus Munster, mm-hmm. one semi final, and Stormers versus Bulls in the other semi final. It is, yes, the Stormers versus Connaught and Leinster uh, versus Munster. So yeah, so yeah, that was the big thing. The sharks or sharks or bulls. One of the South African teams teams miss out on championship rugby next year Sh- because yeah, 
So Leinster beat the Sharks and the Stormers beat the Bulls. And I think because Munster bit someone bit who bit Ulster. Connaught. Because Connaught bit, bit Ulster. Um, Ulster finished higher than Sharks on the table, so they don't mm. get an automatic spot through to the Champions Cup. So the Sharks will be playing in the whatever it is the the, the second division comp. Um, mm. So yeah. Um, that's there, and then I think the Premiership is starting to get into their semi-finals and finals. Um, so yeah, hopefully we we will see some good footy out of the European-based teams as well. Definitely, always want to see good footy. We love some footy. Ah, uh, we love the footy. Uh, mm-hmm. anything else on your list, mate? I think that was it for today. That's it. That's it for me. That's it. Well, uh, honestly, superstar, leave us with your thoughts on your try. Um, <laughs> Just your final words to all the adoring fans out there. Uh, what do you have to say? And the internet cut out. So I'm going to leave you with this. Uh, when you get a rugby ball, in any rugby, t- any time you're playing rugby, when you catch the ball, just think, what would Luke do? And when you think that, you'll end up like Husey, my, my co-host here. And you will do some great things. But other than that, thank you for joining us. Uh, we've been the sports booth, and this has been That Rugby Podcast. We will see you next time. Goodbye. Peace.